Hello, musical theatre fans. Welcome to the Mayor of Musical Theatre podcast. My name is Ian Boquet, and every week I try to get to know my guests by asking them about their favourite musicals. And I pretend to be a mayor while doing this. Cannot for the life of me remember why, but that's what I do. That's the bed I've made. That's the heavy chain and silly hat I have to wear. Today's episode is a really, really fun one. This week, we're joined by the stupendously talented Carrie Hope Fletcher. You know Carrie, of course. Of course you know Carrie. Everyone knows Carrie. You'll know her from starring roles in Les Mis, in Heather's, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella, recent concert versions of Treason and Once. Or perhaps you don't know her from musicals at all. Perhaps you're a fan of her books, her vlogging. She does so, so much. And now she's about to go out on tour. She'll be playing great venues across the UK in May and June in a show called An Open book and some cities are getting very low on tickets so make sure you book that as soon as possible. Also check out carriehopefletcher.com for her latest writing and news and links to all of her social media. While you have your computer booted up and your modem connected to the world wide web make sure to also visit musicaltheaterreview.com for the latest news reviews and interviews on everything on stage, backstage and worldwide. You can also follow this podcast on all the social media at at musicalmarepod. Now, without wasting any more of your precious time, let's get into this chat with the one and only Carrie Hope Fletcher. Oh my God, this song, it's amazing. I have to sing this. Welcome to the Mayor of Musical Theatre podcast. I am composer, reviewer, photographer and now podcaster slash fake mayor Ian Boquet, but I am far less worthy of the title of Mayor of Musical Theatre than my guest today. If there's one name that's synonymous with UK musical theatre right now, it might just be Carrie Hope Fletcher. She has starred in mega hit shows like Les Mis, Heathers and Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. She's written multiple books. She's a vlogger. She's a recording artist. And now she's about to go out on tour across the country. Carrie Hope Fletcher, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, that was such a sweet intro. Thank you so much. That was so lovely. Of course. I mean, it's all so, so deserved. And you're doing so much professionally and you've just got married, of course. Congratulations on that. How? Thank you very much. Must be such exciting and busy times for you. Yeah. I mean, this last year has felt like such a whirlwind. So much has happened and there's been so many firsts, you know, aside from my personal life, sort of getting married, you know, which is a huge personal thing. Um, I had my first play and my first panto last year. Um, and, you know, I had a year of uh, of like lots of little projects, which I've never done before. I'm so used to sort of sitting in a show for at least you know, six months to a year. Mm. So suddenly doing things like Treason, Witches of Eastwick, Panto, Caucasian Chalk Circle, like it was a, a bit of a whirlwind, but it was so exciting. Well, speaking of lots of little projects, you do so much and so many different things. On behalf of all our listeners, including me, who are doing multiple jobs, are so busy. Do you have any tips for multitasking, time management? Oh, no, I'm I from the outside, it looks like I've got my life together and it looks like my time management is, you know, where it needs to be. It is not. I am a mess, like a complete disorganized mess. The amount of times that I wake up and I've got people messaging me being like, can you remember to do that thing today? You know, that thing that I've been asking you to do for like the last six months, you still haven't done it. That's very much my life. I live sort of minute by minute, hoping and crossing my fingers that I'm where I need to be at the right time. Well, you've got the tour coming up in May, so quite a bit of time before that. How early did preparations for the tour start? I mean, they started pretty much straight away when I decided that I was going to do it, which was over a year ago now. Mm. Um, but we've kind of dived into the hardcore rehearsal period now. Right. Um, we started maybe about a month ago. Um, 
to, yeah, kind of getting in a room with my director, Ruthie, and my MD, Ben, and deciding, you know, what was going to be sung, why I was going to be singing it is also like a, a really important thing to me. I didn't want to just sing songs for the sake of singing songs. I wanted to sing songs because they had a reason and a meaning and a story. That's the most important thing, because this tour is called An Open Book for very good reason. It's that I, that's very much who I am and what I am. I'm an open book. I'm a textbook oversharer. Um, so I wanted to share songs that had a story behind them that I I could then share with an audience. The putting together a set list must be a fun thing. Something I really loved about your, your 2018 album, When the Curtain Falls, it's a great balance between songs people really associate with you and others which some of your fans might not have even, even have heard before, like lesser known musical theatre songs. How do you strike yeah. the balance when you're putting together a set list like that? It's so hard because how do you choose? There are so many incredible musical theatre like iconic songs, like the list of just iconic songs that everyone knows, the list is so extensive. So how do you then pick just a few of those and then balance it out with songs that, you know, you really want to sing that people might not personally know? Mm. Um, so it did take a really long time and like 4,000 Spotify playlists later trying to figure out what uh, what should be sung. Um, but it was very clear. It was very clear. We kind of, you know, me and Ruthie and Ben sat in a room and we, you know, there were songs that we were like, right, these are the definites. We yeah. can't ignore these songs. No one can ignore these songs. These are the songs that are iconic and they're from a back catalogue of shows that I've done as well. So it's an absolute no brainer. Um, but there were other songs where we played them and we were like, mm, and instantly, as soon as we were sort of unsure, we were like, right, we're not singing it. And if there was one song where I was like, oh my God, this song, it's amazing. I have to sing this. It kind of, you know, was straight on the list. And uh, and there were other songs as well where I was like, I would love to sing that. But there's a story attached to this that I'm like, do I? Do I tell that story? Am I allowed to tell that story? Is that far too naughty for an audience? Um, and there are some that I'm braving and some that I was like, no, I'm going to have to save that story for when I'm like on my deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all look forward to that book, your final book where you tell all the secrets. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Uh, um, one, one song I really loved off your album um, was your version of No One Else from Great Comet, oh, uh, which yeah. is a beautiful song. It's one of my favourite shows, but it hasn't been in London yet. Uh, what drew you to that show? Did you manage to see it in New York? Or? No, I actually didn't know the show very well. I just knew that song. Mm. I think that song sort of ended up transcending the show for a little while because it's such a gorgeous song. And I just heard so many amazing people sing it yeah. that I just wanted to have a, a stab at singing it myself. But the lyrics as well, the lyrics of that song are just so, so, so beautiful. And it's such an earworm as well. As soon as you listen to that song once, it will be in your head for the next month. 100%. Um, and my, it was my it was my agent who actually sent it to me in the first place a, a long time ago now. Um, and I didn't stop singing it for like three months. And I was like, well, this has to go on the album now because it's obviously such a great song and has resonated with me so much that I just can't get it out of my brain. But it's great to hear the tour is the same thing. You're, you're getting these songs which are really sticking with you and you're mm. going for the ones which have to be sung. Do the arrangements must be cool as well. Like your album has one of the most banging versions of Let It Go. <laughs> and just the, the musical arrangements for that. How's it coming together? with the musicians on the tour? Um, funnily enough, I've got a band that's made up of pretty much um, all of the the people who were on Cinderella with me. Oh, I've kind of taken, uh, taken a bunch, um, Ruthie and Ben as well, Ruthie, my director, and, and Ben, my MD, they were both from Cinderella as well. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, 
you meet people on jobs sometimes and you're like, well, I'm never letting you go because you're not only incredible at what you do, you're also one of the nicest humans I've ever met ever. Um, so this was a chance to sort of work with them in a, in a different a different setting, in a different capacity. Um, and Ben is an absolute genius. In fact, just yesterday, he sent through a medley that I'm going to be singing on my tour. I won't tell you of what because I'm excited. Of course, keep it surprised. Uh, but he sent through a medley and I, I played it about five times because I was like, how have you done this? How does your brain work in that way that you can find ways to put songs that don't ever sound like they could possibly go together and you've managed to not only put them together but it sounds like they should have always been that way um so I'm very very excited about the way that Ben's brain works and the way that he's able to just make things sound like they should have always sounded that way in the first place and the original version is a bit of a mistake (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, it must be great to work with musicians and learn from them as a musician yourself do you find that you're getting more attracted to the to the writing to the putting together side of musical theatre or are you still very much in the performance side Funnily enough, I I do love the idea of sort of, you know, taking a back seat and maybe producing and and I, you know, I'm not a um a creative in the sense of like directing or MDing a show. Um there's, you know, so many other people who are far better at stuff like that, who are qualified to do stuff like that, who I could never ever sort of, you know, criticize or touch their work because they're just incredible at what they do. Mm. Um but the idea of being able to give other people a platform to do that who may never have got the platform to do that before, that's that's becoming more and more sort of intriguing to me as time goes on. And I'm obviously not there yet. I'm not a producer. <laughs> I don't think I could be a producer anywhere in, in the near future. But it's something that sort of always sort of in the back of my brain going wouldn't it be amazing if one day you were able to give people a platform mm-hmm. um to write new and incredible work and work that you know m- might one day be like the next Les Mis or the next Hamilton or something like that it's, it is very exciting to me that idea Absolutely. Well, I, I do a little bit of composing and directing myself. And I, because of that, I'm on various Facebook groups for aspiring sure. actors so I can find people to cast. And I've seen your name come up a lot as an example of someone oh, with no formal musical theatre training, but who sure. is still amazing <laughs> and has done it. So I feel like if you can throw yourself into musical theatre acting like that without the training, you can produce, you can write. <laughs> you can, why not? Oh, you're very sweet. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? I think it would take a lot of guidance. And, you know, I've been doing musical theatre since I was a child. So I've mm. I've sort of been so lucky to be learning from the best since I was a kid you know I was in shows with Michael Ball, Anton Rogers, Brian Blessed, Nicola McAuliffe um, you know all of these incredible like musical theatre staples who are at the top of their game and I got to watch them closely mm-hmm. at close range since I was a child so you know I've I will always sort of look to people far more experienced than me when it comes to anything. Do you remember what show it was that got you into musical theatre in the first place to get into that environment? It's lame is, and I owe everything to that show. It was the first show that I ever saw as a kid. It was the first sort of uh, like VHS of a musical I had. I had the 10th anniversary at the Royal Albert Hall. I wore it out. It (laughs) now like doesn't play properly because I watched it so many times. Um, It was the first show I was in as a child. I played young Eponine as a kid. Um, And it was the first show I was then in again as an adult playing Eponine at 20 years old. You know, I, I owe everything to that show. You know, I never saw it when I was a child. I've only seen it since being a grown-up. And I mm. feel like I, it wouldn't be my first choice to show a child. It's quite an intense show in some ways. Were you an intense yeah. child? Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm, I've always been quite an intense human, um, emotionally, mentally, I think. <laughs> um, but I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved the show. You know, as a kid, I don't think I... I definitely didn't understand what the show was about and what was going on. I just loved... 
you know, the costumes, like what Eponine wore. I used to love watching Leia Salonga sing those songs and just the way that she had this control over her voice and how confident she was on stage. And it was something that I just was desperate to replicate. Were there any other things going on in your life at the time where if you hadn't found this VHS of Lame Is, you might have pursued another passion? Books have always been the thing that I've been very passionate about as well as performing it. It's just storytelling. Storytelling is something that I've always been massively passionate about. And everything in my life that I do now is just another form of that. You know, musicals is very much like embodying one character and telling that one character story within the realm of a a musical. Um, Writing my own books is, you know, telling a story of my own and creating that story from start to finish. And then YouTube is my story. It's me. It's what I'm up to. And, you know, the the story of, of me and my life. Um, So everything has always just been about telling stories. And I think if, you know, I hadn't have gone into musical theater, I would have just found another way to tell stories in a different medium. We mentioned earlier songs that got stuck in your head. Is there a certain musical which has a score, which is always stuck in your head? The songs you're always humming. Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, that that score, you will be found if even just saying the name, I'm like, oh, no, because that's going to be in my head for the next week. That song is such an earworm. And yeah, and and what an incredible score as well. Like, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, clever. It's just it's just brilliant. And every time I listen to it, I, I kind of have to like sporadically listen to that soundtrack because I know as soon as I listen to it I won't listen to anything else for the next four months. (laughs) It's remarkable how even though you've heard these songs so many times that score in particular it still gets you emotionally even if you just have something stuck in your head on the tube you think of a line and it still hits you even if you can't hear it it's remarkable writing. And You Will Be Found is is the song where I'm like, if I need a good cleansing cry, if I feel like I need to have just a cry (laughs) on a Sunday evening just because I put that song on and that's me done. (laughs) We've done a few of these podcasts now and an answer which keeps coming up for this question is, of course, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. What was it like performing in that show? Because surely those songs would have just been in your head constantly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few songs in that. Like, I know I have a heart and far too late. They are proper. They're they're like bangers. I know I have a heart, especially. It's it's, it's a pop song. Mm. It's like a proper pop anthem. Um, And yeah, singing that song every night was so epic. And the way that that song got to be sung... Uh, in the West End. I don't think they do it on Broadway, but we have the spinning seats, the revolving auditorium. Of course, yeah. So I got to sing that song like in the round, which was such a, like I've never ever got to sing anything in the round before because (laughs) what theatre spins, it was incredible. Um, So yeah, it was quite an iconic moment to be stood in the round with all of the theatre sort of like lit up like a starry night sky in a big ball gown singing a very cool song. Well, speaking of pop songs, do you listen to a lot of non-musical theatre music as well? I do, I do, but it's always got some sort of musical theatre like connection. I love Sarah Bareilles. If oh. ever I have to listen to something that's like vaguely poppy, I say have to. I love, <laughs> I love, I love all kinds of music. Yeah. I love listening to pop and like rock and uh, and whatnot. Um, but I'm always drawn to the songs that feel sort of more story driven. Yes, absolutely. And Sarah Bareilles is like the queen of that. So, oh, she really is. Is there a favourite musical currently running in the West End that you have? I mean, it's so hard to choose because they're all so iconic. They're all so iconic. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what could I. What could I possibly pick? <laughs> Heather's is is you know. I can't believe that Heather's is still going. Mm. Heather's is such an iconic show, um, and it's. Beca- I feel like it, it's becoming more and more iconic as time goes on. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's still drawing in audiences and. 
it's one it's kind of like a a, a little phenomenon because everyone who lo- who knows heathers like absolutely knows it loves it knows every line knows every note knows every word mm. and then you get the odd person who's like heathers you mean like the 80s movie <laughs> like they know it from the movie and can't believe that a musical has ever been made out of it um it's an unlikely it's, yeah. one isn't it it's quite a weird really dark is. movie in some ways and the musical's dark as well but it's the most fun show in the west end at the moment it's ridiculous it's so much fun and I'm so glad that it still has a life and it's back out on tour now as well. So I, I love that it's sort of being taken to new audiences around the UK. Um, but yeah, I think they did such a great job with with bringing Heathers to the UK. I think it was it was such a, a good idea. And of course, you play Veronica when it first came to the other palace and you're on the cast recording. It must be great to be forever associated with that show now. Yeah, I mean it's 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 wild, and every now and again, like something something from the Heather soundtrack goes viral on TikTok. Yes. Um, I think it was meant to be yours. Like Jamie Moscato became like a TikTok sensation <laughs> for a while because meant to be yours went viral on on TikTok. Um, so yeah, having your voice kind of always connected to a musical is sort of any musical theatre actor's dream really um the fact that I will always be associated with Heathers in some way is such a massive honour and it's one of those shows that has such a dedicated fan base it's great to go and see so many people dress up just on a Tuesday night performance of Heathers everyone's in full costume I used to look into the audience and be like your costume's better than mine (laughs) your costume's incredible like how have you done this that's amazing um and yeah they're called the corn nuts the, of the fans of Heathers, the Corn Nuts, they're a very intense and dedicated fan base, but Heathers wouldn't be what it is without them. You know, Andy Fickman, the director, used to say that they're the fifth Beatle. The audience mm. is the fifth Beatle. You have to, like, respect the audience as much as you respect any other cast member in the show. You've been really incredible at using social media to talk to fan bases. And obviously social media has its bad sides in many ways, but mm-hmm. your following seems to be quite a healthy, lovely, supportive following do you have any tips for other performers of how to manage social media and fan bases it's so hard because I feel like you can do everything right or you think you're doing everything right and Mm. negativity finds you and I think my only tip would be is that if you're if you're getting some form of negativity and you know that you're quite an uh you know you're not a controversial person you know full well that you're not doing anything that's you know harming people or hurting people and you're just being who you are and trying to be the best version of yourself Mm. uh, as as you can be and you're still getting negativity I feel like you need to take comfort in the fact that you're doing something right yes because people often don't like people who are happy and successful and who are doing well for themselves because it reminds it, it makes them feel like they're not happy and successful and maybe it kind of highlights their own shortcomings in some way or, or shape or form so if you're getting negativity um, I feel like you just need to wish these people well and leave them alone. Um, that's kind of that's kind of all you can do, unfortunately. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm so, I get so frustrated every now and again that cyber sort of cyber laws aren't as strong as they should be, um, and that so much of uh, how we react to negativity has to be taken into our own hands, and we need to find a way through it without the help of any sort of governing bodies. Um, and it's something that I will always be sort of signing petitions to try and change in some way. But until then, I feel like you do just need to take comfort in the fact that you must be doing something right for someone to be um, so bothered and so triggered by your success and happiness. Well, on a more positive note, is there a musical which really makes you laugh the most? I went to see Back to the Future four times because I absolutely 
howled. I loved it. It's such a good time. And even if you're not a fan of the movie, I feel like you'll still love the show because it's it is musical theatre at its best, I would say. I I think it's just I get so excited when I talk about Back to the Future because it's it's got these amazing magic tricks yes. with the car and how the car appears and and how the car like moves uh, and the screens, the screens, you know, as the car's like driving through the, the streets and uh, the way that they've done sort of the video for the show is just extraordinary. But then it's got these amazing songs, like yeah. I, again, earworms, like it works, it works, it works, it works, it works, like what a song. They are so good. Um, I think the writing for the show is is genius. It's so funny. And then when you've got people like Roger Bart and Hugh Coles and uh, and now Corey English, like you've got these brilliant actors who are able to bring that comedy to life and make it as funny as funny can be. Uh, it's just an iconic show. I'm so pleased that it has the life that it has and that it's like thriving in the West End because it fully deserves it. It's a perfect show to recommend to anyone who's a bit snobby about theatre, who's, you know, I'm only going to see <laughs> yeah. Stephen Sondheim's Passion and nothing else. I'm not going to see sure. a movie adaptation because everyone goes to that show and comes away loving it. There's, yeah. You can't not be impressed by it. Yeah, I've not heard anyone go into that theatre and not come out thinking that, that it was a brilliant show. Well, speaking of movie musicals, uh, do you have a favourite movie musical? I mean, Singing in the Rain will always be an iconic musical. Classic, classic. It's it's such a classic, brilliant uh, movie musical. And I, I was obsessed with it when I was growing up. But I have to say, and this might be controversial, okay. because my, my husband disagrees with me on this. <laughs> I love La La Land. Me too. There's a lot of goodness in that film, isn't there? I so love that film. I think it's everything that um, we sort of lost from movie musicals sort of coming back. Um, and it's such a wonderful homage to like Singing in the Rain and, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Um, and I think Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are, uh, are incredible actors mm. um, who obviously have a passion for musical theatre. Um, and I think it's just such a beautiful movie. And the thing I love most about La La Land is that you don't get the classic Hollywood happy ending. I exactly. love that so much. I think it's quite misunderstood. It's about failure. It's about trying yeah. to achieve dreams that may not be right for you or possible. And it's beautiful because of that. And I think also it's this, you know, uh, this love story that doesn't become the great love story. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's this idea that, you know, you might f succeed at everything professional, but sometimes relationships do fail and sometimes they don't work out and sometimes you you don't get the great Hollywood happily ever after. I think I've heard a rumour that it's coming as a stage version sometime in the near oh my future. God. Do you think it will that work as well? That would be unbelievable. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to tell. It's so hard to to know whether something that's so iconic on screen will work on stage. Mm. Um, but I think because it is a musical already, I feel like it would lend itself to the stage. Um, but I, I cross my fingers for it being as incredible as uh, as I think it is on stage. I'm sure it will be. Even just with those songs, it's going to be a fun time. Yeah. It's so good. Well, you said that was quite a controversial choice, maybe. Is there a musical <laughs> that people might be surprised to learn you love? Um, I feel like, I don't know if I can call it a guilty pleasure. I don't know if I believe in guilty pleasures, because I think if you love something, you should be proud to love it. Okay. Um, but Joseph, I have always loved Joseph. That was the one that I used to like belt out in the back <laughs> of my, my dad's car. Yeah. Um, used to pretend that I was um, the narrator. But the... I, I still maintain that the opening to that show mm. is the most iconic opening to any show. 
it's so epic. The dun, 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 like, oh yeah. my God, how can you open a, a show? Like, you can't replicate the brilliance of that opening. And I went to see it at the Palladium when it was last, last there, or maybe the time before. It was definitely before lockdown. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I cried. I bawled my eyes out just at the opening because it reminded me of being a kid again. It reminded me of being in the back of my dad's car, singing all of those songs at the top of my lungs. Well, I think it was originally written for schools, wasn't it? So it's, I mean, it gets stuck in your head as you're a child. It's one of the first musicals a lot of people hear. And those melodies just, they become musical yeah. theatre to people. Well, funny enough, during lockdown, um, there was uh, a group of, of kids who obviously missed out on doing their school plays because... Oh. They weren't at school. Um, so I got to be part of, I think it was a YouTube Originals. Um, it was like bringing all of these schools together and they cast everyone as the parts in Joseph. And I got to play the narrator and I had to decorate my house in like rainbow, you know, the colours of all of Joseph's uh, coat and uh, and be the narrator for these kids who were wow. uh, doing their school play of Joseph. It was so sweet. That's the loveliest thing I've ever heard. That's so sweet. It was really, really wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of of Joseph, you got to go on tour with Jason Donovan as well as Shane Ward and I our did. recent podcast guest, Brian McFadden. That sounds like a Aww. mad tour. What was that like? Uh, War of the Worlds it was, wasn't it? It was War of the Worlds. Yeah, I got to play um, Jason Donovan's wife, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, can't complain about that. It's iconic as Jason, Jason Donovan. That's, you know, I was living out a lot of people's fantasies there. Um it was it was amazing. War of the Worlds is such an incredible, incredible um, show and spectacle because the tour really is a spectacle when it's in arenas and you have like the Martian fighting machines that breathe mm. fire and all of these amazing like magic tricks. Um, and you have the full orchestra on stage with Jeff Wayne, who wrote it, conducting. It's amazing. Like what more could you possibly want? Um and I got to go out again on tour four years later, playing the same part um, with a different cast of people. Um, we're still with Jason, though. Jason was still still my husband. Um, Cling on to and it's just absolutely it's just it's yeah, it's such an incredible, incredible um, concept album, like piece of, of theatre. Um, and I urge anyone who even just loves musical theatre, if you've never heard of War of the Worlds before, just go and see it because it's so incredible. Yeah, I had such a great time on that tour. Do you like touring in general? You've got one coming up now. That's obviously big arenas with War of the Worlds as well. Yeah. It seems like a completely different lifestyle to being in the same theatre eight times a week. Yeah, and War of the Worlds, um, like the way that that tour worked, and I guess the way that my own tour is going to work, it's very different from how uh, a standard musical theatre tour works because it's, uh, you know, War of the Worlds and my tour will be one venue every night. Right. Um, so you're, you know, you're moving very quickly. You're having to quickly repack cases or not unpack at all, really. Um, and you don't really get a lot of sort of breathing space to enjoy the city that you're in, unfortunately. Um, but with musical theatre, you're in spaces for at least a week to two weeks. So it's a little bit more time to go and explore. And I'm excited to return to venues on my tour that I went to on theatre tours um, mm. and sort of, you know, explore old haunts again and uh, and revisit old dressing rooms that I, I once inhabited. So this is the brilliant Carrie Hope Fletcher, such a talent and such a delightful guest. Remember to check out her tour dates and book early to avoid disappointment. Carrie will be playing cities across the UK through May and June. The tour's called An Open Book and it's going to be something really special. It sounds amazing. You won't want to miss it. Also, do give her a follow on all the social medias. The links are all on carriehopefletcher.com where you can also find her writing and vlogs and everything else. Right, let's get back to the chat about musicals. 
which musical do other people love that maybe you don't understand? Like, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It's not what musical you hate. It's just what musical do you not quite connect with in the same way other people seem to? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I am so easily pleased when it comes to musical theatre. Give me a good show tune and like a belty ballad, and a, a, a weepy storyline, and I'm thrilled. Um, but the, the, the show that I, I love the score and I love Sondheim so much and I loved the production, but the story I just didn't really connect with is Company. And I feel like that, that might be controversial because be it is such a well-loved show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I just couldn't, res, I just couldn't connect with it. I couldn't find something that sort of resonated with me because um, I am such a hopeless romantic. And I feel mm. like so much of company goes against that, which is probably the point, but it's yeah. just not. Not what I'm asking for when I go and watch a musical, I guess. That's interesting. I know a lot of people who can't quite connect with the, you know, the 70s version of a male mm. Bobby with lots of women and things. But a lot of people were convinced by the Marianne Elliott female Bobby version. Mm. But not you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing that I found hard about that is that when it's a male person playing Bobby, yeah. um, it kind of goes against the stereotypes um, that, you know, you think sort of, you know, a... a someone uh like that cat that version of bobby would be happy being a bachelor um that's kind of like the male stereotype and then at the end when he sings being alive he goes against that and you're like oh he actually wants sure what you know that it kind of goes against the stereotype of the you know the happy bachelor who likes you know lots of women in his life um so when it's a woman you kind of i was kind of watching the show going oh this is amazing like she's going against this sort of idea that all women want is to settle down and get married and have children. And she's going against this idea and she's showing everyone how, you know, you can just be a, a, an individual female who can have, you know, as many relationships as, as she likes and it not be a bad thing. So then when she sings being alive, you're like, Oh, we're just going back to the stereotype again. Of, it's like everyone of, else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're doing, like you're kind of just going back to the stereotype of a, a of a, a woman who does want to settle down and have marriage and kids, which of course is not a bad thing. That's something that I want in my life. I feel like sure. I might be the stereotype of a of a, a of what you know people perceive women to want. But yeah, I kind of feel like it just it didn't work for me in the way that it might have worked for other people which I feel like bad saying because I hate I hate like not liking anything and it wasn't that I didn't like it it's just it it wasn't for me it wasn't my cup of tea of course of as course. they say well speaking of relationships what do you think is the most romantic musical would you say you're a romantic sentimental sort of person then oh massively massively I'm such a hopeless romantic I love a good romantic storyline um and I think Anastasia is one that will always be Wow. super romantic to me um I loved that movie when I was a kid like I was obsessed with that film when I was a child yeah um and the storyline between Anastasia and Dimitri oh I just love it so much and the song in a crowd of thousands which isn't in the film but is in the musical that moment when they realize that they know each other and that they met when they were children and that he helped her and oh I just love it so much it properly tugs at my heartstrings and I can never not cry when hearing that song have you managed to see the stage version of it? Because I don't think it's come to no, London yet, has it? No. no, I haven't. I haven't seen it. And I'm gutted because I know it's one of those shows that I would just bawl my eyes out seeing. I recently saw Newsies, um, oh, which so good. was... Have you seen the movie? Uh, I've seen... I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the recorded Disney Broadway version. No, you have to watch the movie with okay. Christian Bale, okay. directed by Kenny Ortega, who was the mastermind behind High School Musical. And it's such a great film. And I managed to catch it on tv when i was about 14 years old it was on channel five i was home ill from school and i put it on and it was halfway through carrying the banner 
and I just fell madly in love with this musical and I became so obsessed with it that my first email address was spotconlon at hotmail.co.uk which is the name of one of the newsies and the password was racetrack which is the name of another newsie um and I recently went to see it and I was just transported back to being that 14 15 year old again and the opening happened and I just started crying I turned to my husband like oh my god I don't know what's happening I feel like I'm sort of regressing back into my teenage self um and I feel like that's what would happen if I got to see Anastasia because it was such a big part of my childhood I feel like I would just start bawling my eyes out it's such a popular show I, I imagine it will be coming to London at some point soon but I don't, don't maybe because no, it's I set in so. it's like set in Russia and things obviously things are a bit fraught internationally of course, um, same with of course. Great Comet actually it's another Russian focused yeah. show that might not be and this. this this also might be controversial they got rid of um Rasputin in the uh because that's the 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 villain in the the movie mm. um they got rid of him for the musical and he arguably had one of the best songs in the dark of the night is such an iconic song in the in the in the movie uh yeah in the animated movie um so i feel like i would miss that song well so speaking of musicals that you haven't seen um what's a musical that you haven't seen that you think you should see or you'd love to see um Oh, that's such a good question because there are so I'm I am a very stagey person, but there are so many musicals that I just haven't seen. Um, and Little Shop of Horrors is one of them. A big one. I love that musical so much, and I love the movie, and I love the soundtrack. But I have just never had the chance to see it on stage. I saw the fact that's a lie. I saw an Amdram production a long time ago, but I've never seen a professional production of it. And I was gutted I never got to see the one at Regent's Park because the wonderful yes. Matt Willis of Busted McBusted fame was in it as the dentist. Um, and so yeah, I was gutted I never got to see it because it's just one of my favourites. And that's a perfect venue for it as well. You want to see it in oh, the park? Absolutely, surrounded by greenery. Yes, I'm worrying that all of those plants might eat you on the way out. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a creepy walk back through Regent's Park at night after yeah, a show, isn't I it? I bet. <laughs> much as I love it. Well, definitely not that world then, but which musical's fictional world would you most like to live in? I mean, it's got to be Oz, hasn't it? It iconic. has to be Oz. Iconic. It's iconic. And I also think that there are so many musicals that just aren't set in fictional worlds. So many of them are set in the real world that might have like magical stories attached to them. Yeah. Um, but Wicked is, you know, it's set in the wonderful, wonderful land of Oz. So I would love to explore the the Emerald City and, and follow the Yellow Brick Road and chat to some munchkins. So it would be the Wicked version of Oz, the slightly darker, slightly creepier version? I think so, yeah. I think that's sort of the more real version. I, think, I feel like I'd start getting annoyed with like the Lollipop Guild if it was the <laughs> Wizard of Oz version of, of Oz. I think I'd start sort of, you know, can I have a co- like an actual conversation with someone? <laughs> <laughs> would you like to be a specific character from that world or would you just like to, you know, be sitting in a corner enjoying all the colour? I think I'd like to just be like a, a fly on the wall, just sort of enjoy enjoy the, the colourful green world around me. Um, but yeah, that was another a musical that I just loved when I was a teenager. I managed to convince my music teacher at school, uh, my secondary school, to do Wicked as a concert and I fully wow. painted myself green for it. Oh, good work. And what a dream <laughs> as a teenager to be able to sing in Wicked, because I don't think they, do they license it properly to schools for proper? I don't know. I don't think so. No. So it's very rare to get that opportunity. Yeah. Good work. Um, <laughs> well, if you were to direct a radical restaging of a classic musical, which one would you choose? Good question. Um, again, another musical that I haven't seen is Into the Woods. But oh. again, another of my favourites. I've seen the film, but I know that people who love the stage musical are like, the film's no good. They like berate me for liking the movie. Um, I think it's how I feel about Les Mis, though. You know, I, yes, I love yes. the stage version of Les Mis so much that I'm like, you've only seen the film, now you've <laughs> got to go see the show. Um, so yeah, Into the Woods is such 
an amazing score with so many brilliant characters. I'm a massive fairy tale fan as well. Mm. So all of these like fairy tales in one musical is my absolute dream. Um, so I also think that if I was to restage it, because I've never seen it, no matter what I do, it would be new. Of course. I mean, that's another very Sondheim thing, isn't it? Anything well, you do, exactly. let it come from you, then it will be new. Exactly. Perfect. Well, you've played Cinderella before. Would you like to be Cinderella in a version of Into the Woods maybe as well? I like The Baker's Wife. Oh, that's I love The one. Baker and The Baker's Wife. I think they're such brilliant roles and I love how like their dynamic and the way that they work together and, and their sort of marriage and you see sort of like their their like highs and lows. I, I just love it. And um, Moments in the Woods is just one of my favourite songs. I love it so much. It's so, so good. Well, the big question, if you were the mayor of musical <gasps> theatre, if you had that power, which oh. show would you order be staged forever so you can go see it whenever you want and in which venue? So one of my favourite musicals of all time is Sweeney Todd. Great choice. I started learning it when I was a kid and I had nightmares about it for weeks because it's terrifying. It's about a guy who cuts people's throats and then the woman downstairs makes them into pies. Like, that's so not okay on any (laughs) level. Um, So I did have nightmares, but I was just so fascinated by it. And the music is, oh, I mean, another Sondheim. He's just Mm. iconic and genius. And I, again, a musical I've never seen. I've seen, in fact, I saw the same Amdram company that I saw do Little Shop, do Sweeney Todd, funnily (laughs) enough. Um, But again, I've never seen it in any professional capacity um, and was gutted that I never saw Michael Ball and Imelda Staunton play those roles because, I mean, what an iconic duo. Um, But I also think that Sweeney Todd deserves like a really small, intimate setting um, and make you feel like you're going into the pie shop. So I'm thinking somewhere like the Turbine Theatre. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, especially like under a railway arch as well. It feels very sort of like old school London. Yeah, Victorian industrial yeah. Sort of vibes. That would be, it's amazing because Sweeney Todd is such an iconic musical. It's such an iconic London musical, mm. but we don't have like Les Mis has been running in London for years. Phantoms yeah. been running for years. It feels like Sweeney should be a show, which is the London show people flock from all around to come see in London. I think so. I think so. Especially because we actually have Fleet Street. In London. Like, it's a real place that people could go and visit after seeing the musical. If they dare. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. You've been an amazing Mayor of Musical Theatre. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. That was Carrie Hope Fletcher, such a fantastic guest and absolute pleasure to talk to. Remember to book tickets to her UK tour and open book and check out CarrieHopeFletcher.com for all of her writing, news and links to social media. Please do also follow this podcast at at MusicalMayorPod, as well as MusicalTheatreReview.com, who can be found on Twitter at at MusicalTheatreR and on Instagram at at MusicalTheatreReview. If this is your first episode of the podcast, you'll be pleased to hear we've built up a pretty extensive back catalogue of guests, so do go and check out all those old episodes for more musical theatre chat. Also, if you want to get involved at all, uh, say hi on social media. Uh, Just get involved in the chat there. If you want to tell your friends, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's always a huge help. I really, really appreciate all of your support with that. Thank you. It's you, the listeners, who are the real mayors of musical theatre. There's no such thing as a real mayor of musical theatre. I'm sure you're all clever enough to know that by now. But thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. (laughs) 